Amen, amen. All right, we're on part six. I can't believe it. We're about halfway home almost in this uh, series we've been doing on the book of Ephesians. And today's message is it's quite a bit of fun. It's, it's probably um, one of the dense, most densely packed portions of the book. What Paul goes over here in uh, the 13 verses we're going to look at this morning is, is quite extensive. And truth be told, I'll just be honest, I, I, uh, I really, this is such a cursory study. It, it would ordinarily, if I was really just teaching this as a class or something, I would have to take three or four hours to go through what I'm actually going to try to cover today in about 45 or 50 minutes. And so I um, obviously can't expound on it that way. But if I were teaching this in one of our school of ministry classes, I would, I would make today's uh, lesson at least three, at least three, three messages, because it's so densely packed what he says here. And so uh, I want to really encourage you to, to tune in. Now, let's just take a look at the outline. I, I kind of break down a little bit how he, what he goes into here. Um, so he, he expounds on the mystery and the ministry of the gospel and the role of the church in God's eternal plan. And so those are just enormous thoughts. And uh, just talking to Gabe and Hazen beforehand, I said, this stuff is so far above me. This is way above my pay grade. I mean, when we start talking about unsearchable riches of Christ, right, eternal purposes, mysteries hidden from all the ages and now revealed... I mean, are you catching unsearchable riches, eternal purposes and mysteries hidden from forever till now? Yeah, we're just going to cover that in 45 minutes. Just get that done. I mean, this is just this is just so far above all of us that we need the Holy Spirit to help us to connect to it. And and here's what I want to say, though. Some of us, we go unsearchable riches and eternal purposes aren't going to help me this week. (laughs) Like, they're not going to help me with my Monday through Friday. Is there anything that I can actually get out of this I can use? And I would say, yes, absolutely. Uh, Your Monday through Friday should be uh, directed and governed and ruddered by eternal purposes and unsearchable riches. The way you live every single day should be impacted by these truths. And so it should have an influence on your soul that... Uh, that orders the way you live all the time. And, and so part of our problem with our Monday through Friday and how we live day in and day out is we don't have e- eternity in mind. We don't have unsearchable riches in Christ in mind. We just have like, how can I get through like the next 15 minutes in mind? And, and the Lord actually wants us to govern our, our day in and day out from the eternal rather than sort of doing day in and day out from the, the very second we're living in. Does that make sense? And so uh, unsearchable riches and eternal purposes are critical so that we live our you know, momentary time in a way that makes a lot of sense, in a way that's, that's uh, valuable. And so I want to really encourage you, don't let this go over into the so ethereal kind of category that you don't, you don't really connect to it. I want to actually to, 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 I want to encourage you to dial into uh, what is this that Paul is even talking about. Now, see, I mentioned this. He's going to give us two extremely important pieces of information that he hasn't given us before. Namely, he's going to tell us his personal mission statement. Paul is going to tell us, the Apostle Paul, writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, he's going to dial it in and tell us exactly why he's living, what he's called to do, and he he really uh, capsulates it in two bullet points. And then he's going to tell us the mission statement of the church. What the church is even about. And I will propose to you that when I tell you what Paul says the mission statement of the church is, you will be shocked because it's probably not what you think the mission statement of the church is. Because what he says here is it's colossal. And I would just say it's more than, it includes, but it's more than the Great Commission. The mission statement of the church is more than preaching the gospel and making disciples, though that has to be in it. It's far broader than that, and Paul goes into that. Now, D, this is probably, this is the kind of stuff that I'm interested in personally. This is probably the kind of thing that, you know, a Bible geek is interested in this. Let's just say it that way. And so I think this is very interesting. 
So when you read the passage, Paul starts off with the phrase, verse 1, for this reason, okay? And here's what he does. He goes, for this reason, and then he starts talking about who he is, the grace of God that's been given to him, the mystery of God that's been uh, unveiled to him, what, you know, uh, what that mystery is, and and then he goes on and he's describing that how he's a minister of this grace, and and it's the power of God, and he's going to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, and and he's going to make all know the, the plan that God has for all the ages, and he goes, and that the wisdom of God would be made manifest, uh, and, and then he just keeps going and going and going. And then he says, therefore, I ask you, don't lose heart at my tribulations, which is for your glory. But here's the point. The for this reason, he actually never tells us what. What he does is he goes, for this reason, and he goes on a massive bunny trail. He really does. Because in verse 14, he has to come back and go, now again, for this reason, I bow my knee. To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. My point is this. Verse 1, from the time he says, for this reason, all the way through to verse 13, he goes on the most anointed bunny trail there is in the history of humankind. It's, his bunny trail is actually scripture. Just think that through for a minute. And you can tell, if you read the context, you read it straight through, you realize he actually never gets to the point. In those first 13 verses, he just has so much in him, he just starts unpacking truth without actually getting to the target, because his target is verse 14. He goes, for this reason, I pray for you. I pray that you know the love of God. But in the first 13 verses, he's giving us a whole bunch of stuff that's like not what he's trying to say. And he says it, but it's not really what he's trying to say. Does that make sense? So for this reason, brrr, oh yeah, for this reason, I pray for you. And what we've got today is that, that densely packed bunny trail where, to me, all I can think is this. This is scripture. The Holy Spirit is the one who is ultimately the divine author of scripture. He uses human vessels. He doesn't make them robots. He actually utilizes them in their own personality. And what you have here is Paul the Apostle who's like living under the spirit of revelation, who's got so much packed down in him, and he's stuck in jail. So he's got nobody to preach to. You know what happens when you give a preacher no one to preach to? He preaches all the time. I mean, that's why like, I can't do announcements, because if I do, I start preaching the announcements. It's just, it, when, you, when you put a preacher in a position where he's, got, he's full of revelation, but nowhere to give it, it just comes out everywhere. First 13 verses, it's just coming out what God's put inside of Paul. It's, just, it's, fa- it's fascinating. It's funny because we actually get to see Paul's personality a bit. But here's the cool thing about it. The Holy Spirit is the one that directs the bunny trail. It's so cool, and he uses it as Scripture. So when the preacher's preaching, he gets on some crazy bunny trail, and you're like, where is this going? Pay attention, because you never know. The Holy Spirit might be taking them. And I know there's preachers that get on bunny trails, and it's like, dear God, what did that guy just talk about? But sometimes the Holy Spirit will take you on a bunny trail, and it's a divine bunny trail. Well, this is one of them. This is a divine bunny trail. So I don't want to minimize it or in any way act like it's not important. It's hugely important, but it's just interesting the way this construction is. All right, so let's look at this. Roman numeral 2, Ephesians 3. Some of the most incredible truths in the entire book are here. And I would say the centerpiece of the book, whereas verse 10 is the thesis, verse 8 and 9 are really the the crux, the the centerpiece of the book, Paul's life mission statement. All right, let's read verse 1. So he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed... You have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, parentheses, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs 
of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. All right. So again, just as you're reading that, you can tell he's, he's a bit on a side journey. He doesn't actually get to the for the reason, what he's actually saying that for. But uh, so let's look at it. I have it there under A. So he says he's the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. So we know Paul's in prison. We've talked about that the last several weeks, that Paul's in prison. He's writing from a Roman prison. And we haven't talked about why he's in jail. Does anybody remember why he's in jail? He's in jail because the promise of the gospel for the Gentiles. Here's what's happened. He was in Jerusalem. He was preaching the gospel. He was in the temple. And some Jews see him and they know who he is. They know that he's preaching the gospel of Messiah to Gentiles. He's been in with Gentiles. And they go, that's him. That's that guy that's saying Gentiles are also a part of the kingdom of God. Get him. And they arrest him. When Paul says, I'm the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, he was being very literal. That's exactly who he was. His job at current was to be a prisoner for Jesus on the behalf of Gentile peoples, not just the ones alive on the planet but the ones that would ever live. The fact that Paul takes a stand in the gospel for Gentiles is critical to all of our experience because as we talked about last week, if the Gentiles don't make it in, most of us don't make it in. The kingdom of God and the promises and the covenants and the the prophets, the Old Testament, everything was for the Jew And then ultimately, to be realized through Messiah, Gentiles, those who are not of Jewish heritage, actually get to come in to the gospel, come into the the story of the kingdom of God. So here's Paul, he goes, I'm in jail for you guys. That's why I'm in jail. I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ because of the message God's given me for Gentile believers. And when I think about uh, Paul and his his commission to Gentiles, it's really, really odd. Here's why. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was like, you know, what he describes, he says, basically, I'm a, I'm a Jew to the max. And God's given me grace to preach to Gentiles. Such an odd thing. Have you ever found yourself doing something and you knew it was the Lord, but you felt like the last person on the planet that should be doing that? Like, what I'm doing right now, I go, there's, I'm the last guy. There's no way. I should never be a preacher. And that's what he chose by God's goodness and by his grace. He chose to make me a preacher. Well, Paul, who's a Jew to the max, I mean, completely keeping the law. I mean, really zealous for the law. God says, you know what? I've got a plan for you, Paul, but I don't want you to preach. I want you to preach, but I don't want you to preach to the people that you're most used to. I want you to preach to people that you have no idea what they're like. Completely the opposite of you. That's what you're called. And that's what he says. He goes, if you've you've heard of this dispensation of grace, what does that mean? This stewardship of grace that's been given to me for you. He goes, you Gentiles have got to get something. The only way that I'm doing this is because the power of God is on me to do this. You know what? It's no different For Paul, as it is for you, or as it is for me. All of us in our calling, all of us in our giftings, the things that God asks us to do, invites us to do with him, all of us have to be recipients of grace, or it'll never go well. I was talking to a business owner this week, a Christian business owner, and and he was talking about, in, in their particular company, they got, you know, 60 or 70 employees, and he said, you know, occasionally they'll have an employee where just after a bit of time, it takes about six months. He goes, I can tell in six months if they've actually got grace to do the job. He goes, and sometimes I will sit down with them and I will tell them, I don't believe you've got grace for this job. That's how he actually fires people. Glory to God. (laughs) I don't think this is your grace package. You're gifted in this way, this way, and this way, but not in what you're trying to do. Are you happy doing this? Do you enjoy doing this? Do you feel like there's energy on you? Do you feel anointing to do this? 
And they're like, no, 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 no. He goes, no grace, bro. Don't, don't think you have to do something that there's no grace to do. And beloved, I think a lot of people, believers, a lot of believers spend their lives doing stuff that they're actually don't have any grace to do. Now, it doesn't mean that your whole life you get into the finality of your calling and mission like at age 20. Like I know when you're 20 years old, you want to be in the finality of the vision of God for you, but that's not usually how it works. It usually takes a few decades to work out the kinks and to find yourself into that sweet spot, you know. But there's definitely times when I've watched people as they're trying to process the, the goodness of God in their life and they're going through different trials, ups and downs, where they're in a zone that they just don't have a grace for. If you hate numbers, if you hate math, if you don't like, you know, addition and subtraction, don't try to be an accountant or a bookkeeper or even balance your own checkbook. Do, have somebody else do that for you. Don't do your own taxes. There's other people that can do that. Find out what you're good at. Find out what there's grace for you in. Apply yourself in that. I, I tell you, the Lord has a grace package for each of us. And that's what Paul is saying is, I have a grace package to do what no one would ever think I should be doing, and it's to preach the gospel to Gentiles. He goes, if you guys have heard of my story, man, you know this is only the power of God, the grace of God that was given to me for you. And then he goes, how that by revelation God made known the mystery. Now, here's the thing. Paul's experience is so unusual because he spends his whole life studying Judaism. He, he spends his whole life studying the law. And in one moment, you know it, on the Damascus Road, Jesus appears to him. The bright light shines on him. He gets physically knocked from a horse. He gets up and he cannot see and his, his friends have to carry him by the hand. They have to lead him into the city. And he has to wait three days until Jesus sends someone to pray for him that his eyes would be healed and to tell him what's happened. And when the Lord tells Ananias, he says, hey, go in there and, and tell this guy he's a chosen vessel of mine. And I'm going to send him to the Gentiles Paul gets, by revelation, in one second, the vision of God for his entire life. He goes, how by revelation it was given to me. And when you read the New Testament, you've got to catch this. Paul is always emphasizing the spirit of revelation. Why? Because his whole life had been completely upended by the Holy Spirit coming and doing something radical on his life. Beloved, I just got to tell you something. I live my life doing the subtleties one after another after another, the, the foot in front of the next, keep going, keep plotting, keep reading, keep praying, keep knocking, keep asking, keep meditating. But man, I live my life doing that, but I'm always looking for the suddenly. Get looking for the suddenly of God. You do the subtleties until the suddenly comes. And, you know, we don't generally get suddenlies every week. You might get, I mean, in a like really power packed life, 12 big ones ever, you know, but, you know, you might get three. Someone who's got a lot of stuff, they might get like, you know, a 10 or a dozen. But those suddenlies, when they come, they come and they're not cheap and they're supposed to reorder you. They're supposed to rewire you and redirect you. And that's what happens with Paul. And when Paul is, he's, he's emphasizing this issue that, man, the power of God coming on my life, releasing revelation, it changed me. It, it redirected me. And beloved, I believe we're supposed to live that way. He goes, how by revelation, this mystery was made known. Now, here's the thing. This term mystery, it's important. Now, it's not unsolved mystery. Okay, when you read and, and you see the term mystery in the New Testament, it's not unsolved mystery. What it is, is mystery that's now being been and being revealed. 
something that's been hidden that people did not understand a long time, but by revelation now, this mystery is unpacked. I think that's one of the most astounding, interesting things about living life as a Christian. Have you, I mean, you've had the experience. You're going along. You're reading the Bible. It's just, you know, you're reading it. It's fine. And bam, something pops off the page. And all of a sudden, three or four other verses line up with that verse you're reading. You go, what? This goes right with these others. I never saw that before. That's the Holy Spirit unveiling mysteries to you. I think about the two disciples on the, uh, uh, on the Emmaus Road. After Jesus is resurrected, they're walking with the risen Jesus. And Jesus had been teaching them for three and a half years, teaching them stuff that they did not understand. And I think it's so interesting how in the New Testament, in the Gospels, you read the Gospels, and it says Jesus would say something like, you know, the Son of Man is going to be crucified, you know, and after three days he'll rise from the dead. And then, and then it would say, a little phrase, it'll say, but they did not understand what he was talking about. I'm like, and I'm just sitting there going, well, how did they not get that? I mean, he said it right to them. Like he said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised from the dead. And, and then, but they couldn't get it. Why? Because the, the spirit of revelation wasn't on them. And beloved, this is a, a, an interesting point. It's something we've all got to sort of digest that unless the spirit of revelation comes, we got nothing. We got nothing. We don't have any human knowledge that works. We don't have any good human wisdom. We don't have any insight. We, we don't understand a thing unless the Lord releases revelation on us and ties it together for us. And so this issue of mystery is critical. If you don't like mysteries, you kind of got to get over that. Here's why. The Lord is always unpacking mysteries. He's always unpacking things that we didn't understand. He's always tying together points that we didn't see before. He's always bringing it together for us. This is who he is. He is a God of poetry and a God of mystery and a God of revealing the truth and enlightening. This is who he is. Here's the biggest challenge, I think, for many Christians. We live our lives where we get like 50 verses kind of down. We kind of know them, you know, for God to love the world, you know, greater is he than me. And we kind of get the main ones down. Don't have a spirit of fear. And we think because we got that package of 50 verses, we got the whole thing. But I will tell you something. For thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years to come, God will be unveiling mysteries to us. He'll be shocking us with the nature of things. He'll be shocking us with the nature of himself, eternity, heaven, who he is, what's in him, what, what he is. He will be un- love, what love is, who we are. He will be unpacking mysteries to us forever and ever and ever and will like it. Now, here's what Paul is saying. He goes, I've got a little bit of insight into the mystery of Christ. He goes, it's only come by grace. And and I'm a prisoner for Gentiles. I I preach the gospel. But you've got to get something that there's this mystery of the gospel. And he goes, it's what I've briefly written to you. So when when he's referring to mystery right now, he goes, it's what I've briefly written to you, which is what we talked about last week, how the Jews and the Gentiles are now one new man in Christ Jesus. Now, when the term mystery is used, just mark this down because it's used about a dozen, maybe 15 times in the New Testament. When the term mystery is used, it's basically all referring to the manifold mystery of God, the gospel, okay? In other words, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of God, and it has a bunch of different smaller tributaries. So there's this mystery of God, the mystery of Jesus, the mystery of the gospel, and then underneath it, a bunch of tributaries of mystery. That's how this thing is. Many, many, many tributaries and this one giant mystery of of God. And so Paul goes, I've already written to you a little bit about this particular mystery that I'm talking about. That's the mystery that the Jews and Gentiles 
are now together. They're fellow heirs of the same body. They're one. They're partakers of the, 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 the gospel together. Jews and Gentiles together. The most unthinkable thing. And he says this about this mystery. He goes, this thing, no one saw it coming. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you'll find he uses this term, this phrase multiple times. He says, as has never been revealed or has now only been revealed to the apostles and prophets. Things that have been hidden for ages are now revealed. And I just want you to think about something. When you're reading the New Testament, there's this, we're in this moment there when Jesus comes on the planet and he begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And then the power of the Holy Spirit comes and empowers the, the, uh, the, the believers. And they're preaching the gospel and they're studying the Old Testament. And they're applying it to what Jesus has given them. They're at this transition of the ages. Where so many things that were hidden that was all pointing up to this one particular time. Is now, it's all germinating. It's all, it's all sprouting all at that same time. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be a first century believer and mysteries that have been hidden for thousands of years are unfolding and unpacking right to them in their lifetime? I just think that they must have sat back at night and thought, is this my life? Is this really my life? Like the culmination of the ages is happening to me right now. The transition of the ages is happening now. I mean, what do you think the disciples felt when they were sitting there at campfires and they're looking over at Jesus and they're like, he's God? He's God. That's, that's Yahweh. I mean, how do you think they felt uh, and I, I've talked about this before, but I can just imagine, you know, there's Jesus at the campfire. He's smiling one minute, kind of joking around, da, da, da. And then he looks at him and looks him in the eye. And they're like, oh, he's got that look. He's got that look. Don't look at him. Don't look him in the eye. When he's got that look, he knows everything. And he looks right through them. And he says, what were you guys talking about on the road today? And they go, what do you mean on the road today? He goes, you know, when you guys were talking about who will be the greatest... And he's like, you know, they're like, how did he know that? He was like a quarter, whatever measure they did back then. They didn't say miles. But he was like way back there and he heard us. How did he know? How does he know this stuff? He goes, come on, guys. He who wants to be the greatest, he needs to be your servant. He needs to be your child, like a child. He's going to be the least. He's just looking through them. And in those moments, they're like, who are we eating with? Who are we hanging out with? And I just feel like they would just see him, you know, in miniature ways. Like all of a sudden they see this, this reality that he's God. And then they would get shocked and then just shake it off. And then it's back to just Jesus, the carpenter's son. He's always happy. You know, he's a really good preacher. Likes children a lot. You know, I mean, like, can you imagine the shock of what it would have been like to just sort of dial into the reality of what they were living in. Well, Paul is doing the same thing here. He's going, guys, this stuff has been hidden from forever. And now, for the first time, God's revealed it. When you're reading the New Testament, you're reading mysteries that have been revealed for the first time. It's not that the verses in the Old Testament don't say it. It's that nobody could see it before. Think about that for a minute. Now, here's the thing you, I want you to also think about. How many more things are written in the book, the living word of God, that we just cannot see right now? The angel told Daniel, he says, seal up the book, Daniel 12, 4, seal up the book for the time of the end. And the idea is at that time, the, the understanding of the prophecies of the end of the age will begin to become clear to people. There's so many mysteries, so many things hidden in the scripture that we do not fully understand. And God is going to breathe on them by the spirit. They won't be new revelation. They'll actually just be what it's been saying all along. You see what I'm saying? It's not like a new doctrine. No, it's the exact same. It goes right with the whole message of the kingdom. But it will be stuff that no one ever saw before. For the end of the age, the ages to come. 
I mean, there's going to be so much the Lord is going to unpack to us. Most people don't really understand this, but Jesus, when he returns, he will teach us his ways. The Bible says the law will go forth from Zion and he'll teach us his ways. Well, what's he going to be teaching? The Bible. Jesus, the word of God, is going to be teaching us the word of God. Guys, that's going to be a lot better than me teaching it. Like infinitely, awesomely better. All right. Name your favorite Bible teacher. It's like really kindergarten compared to what Jesus is going to be unpacking. The truth of the matter is we're, we're literally in preschool. For when the word of God unpacks the word of God, your heart will soar with revelation. Amen. That's what Paul's saying. He goes, I'm touching something. We're t-, he goes, guys, we're touching something that has been hidden for ages, but now has been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets. And he says in verse 6, that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs. And we talked about this last week. We're one new man together. We're of the same body. And we're actually now partakers of the promise of the gospel. Amen and amen. I hope you love mysteries. All right, let's look at Roman numeral three. So the mystery of the gospel. Now we'll talk about the ministry of the gospel. Ephesians 3, verse 7. It said, Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. It's sort of a recapitulation of what he says in verse 2. Given to me by the effective working of his power to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Wow. So he says, I became a minister according to the gift of grace. We've talked about that. This is, this is how every person's life is. There's a gift of grace for each of us. And that's why I emphasize Everybody's got their own job. Everybody's got their own place in the kingdom. There's not one job or one place that's better than another. It's just simply what God has called us to do by his grace. And so these are good works like we talked about a couple weeks ago, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We say yes to the grace of God and then God helps us find our way into that, into that job, into the, that, that place of grace. He goes, I'm a minister because of the gift of grace. According to his power, he goes, that's how I've I've been here. And I want to draw your attention now to verse 8. He says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints. Beloved, this is such a critical thought. Here we have Paul the Apostle, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament. Okay? He's suffered many things for the gospel. He, He goes through his his apostolic resume in 2 Corinthians and, and talks about how he'd been shipwrecked a night and a day in the deep, how he'd been flogged with a cat of nine, times, uh, nine tails multiple times, how he's done so many things and preaching the gospel. In the book of Romans, he says, I fully preach the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles. He's seen healings. He's seen the power of God. He's suffered. He's now imprisoned for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He could easily say, I am the greatest apostle that's ever lived. In fact, when we look back on Paul, you pretty much recognize he's the greatest New Testament apostle. There's historians. I remember I watched a, uh, like a history channel deal on the reasons why the Roman Empire fell. It's a completely secular uh, you know, presentation. And it began to give the social and cultural reasons. And they said, but none of those matters. And there's only one real thing that caused the Roman Empire to come down. And it went, and and we're going to talk about that next. And it goes to commercial. And we're like, well, dang, what is that? I want to know that one. You know, there's the cliffhanger. They just always do that to you. So it comes back from commercial. I'm like, what is it? What brought them down? And they go, Saul of Tarsus. A who was a, 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 you know, a Judaizer, became a, conver- a, a convert to this, this new sect of, 
uh, Messiah followers, Nazarenes. And when Saul of Tarsus preached that new message of the kingdom of God and following Messiah, it pulled out the tent pegs of the, of the Roman Empire. They said it was the gospel that brought that kingdom down. And I go, man, Paul, he's awesome. He's awesome. He goes, guys, I am less than the least of all the saints. Listen, you know when Christianity has taken root in someone, when they're not just self-deprecating, they're not just trying to act like they're lowly, when the thing has actually gotten real to them, that he is everything and they are nothing. And so when Paul says, I am less than the least of all the saints, it's, he's, not, he's not stretching the truth. He, he, he's not exaggerating. He's actually giving biblical truth. He goes, this is who I really am in light of Jesus. It's, it's, it's like John the Baptist. He He says of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. But here's Paul, and the truths of the gospel, the greatness of God, the wonder of Jesus has so powerfully rested on him that he goes, I'm less than the least. I am the very bottom of the barrel. I am nothing. And another letter he says, I "I persecuted the church. I'm nothing. I'm not even worthy to be called a an apostle or a Christian. I want, to, I want to emphasize this point to you. When you see ministers and they're walking high and tall and proud and they don't have this testimony of least than the less, just know it's not an apostolic witness of the gospel. I know that's a hard word in America because we like biggest, better, and best first and and finest and fattest or whatever. We like all those. I was just trying to remind it. We like whatever's exalted. But when somebody really gets Jesus, they know that he is everything and they are nothing. And I think of Paul and it's, it's like this graduation into obscurity. It's like this reduction into humility. And beloved, that's where we're all supposed to live. Most of us haven't gotten the thing rooted down in us enough to where we recognize his greatness and our absolute lack and insufficiency and our required need of Jesus to do anything and everything. And that's where Paul is coming from. But man, that's the apostolic testimony of leadership. That's what ministers of the gospel are supposed to look like. He goes, me who am less than the least. He goes, I'm nothing. He's everything. I've got nothing. He's saying, I shouldn't even be here. He goes, I, I, without it, the grace of God on me, I'm completely wrecked. Man, that's the, that's the message. That's the, the heart we're all to have. Not just leaders. That's the bride. And we'd see him as so beautiful, so resplendent, so exalted. And we ourselves would be like, man, I don't deserve anything. He deserves all of it. All the glory to him, none, none to me. I love that. He goes, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints. You know, in America, what we think is, well, man, if I make myself that lowly, if I humble myself that much, people are just going to walk on me. They're just going to walk all over me. You know what? I just know this, that if you humble yourself before the Lord, he does something amazing. He exalts the humble. If you're still fighting for your position and you're worried that if you humble yourself that you're not going to get yours, you need more humility. Hallelujah. Oh, we're about to preach on humility. <laughs> I feel like it. I did, eight, I did eight sessions on humility and it was like, oh man, I don't know if I got this at all. This is the reality of kingdom life though, beloved. I mean, really in the kingdom the more authority, the more grace, the more gifting of God, it should actually bring you lower, not make you sort of the grand poobah or whatever, not put you on top. It should put you on the bottom. I think about 
I'm just I'm on an anointed bunny trail. I'll stay with it. I think about the the uh, Chinese pastors that that I've had the opportunity to, opportunity to get to be around a little bit and get to know and 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 befriend a little bit. And and man, I just you can't even you can't you can't even understand how humble they are. I just I go how this like they'll be. You know, they have four million people in their church. And, and when you go and you sit down and have a meal, they're running around serving everybody and taking the plates and bringing the food. The guy, the guy that's got four million people in his church, he's not sitting there with servants serving him hand and foot. He's doing the serving. And I remember just being so convicted and really just, just heartbroken as they were serving me and I, I I told this story several times but there's this one time man I'm I'm I've been with these guys for a week and they're just overdoing it I mean just so loving so caring so humble and man they've suffered for Jesus they've been in prison they've been beaten I mean mercilessly multiple times and they're just joyful and they're just they've got no air about them they, they don't walk around like they're anything they just you don't even know which guy's the guy you ever been in that you show up and you're trying to figure out who's the guy and you go, oh, that guy with the four people around him, he's got to be the guy. Well, I mean, you can't even figure out who the guy is because he's serving. And I remember we were going to the airport and I had my big bag. I, you know, I, just was, I wasn't very accustomed to traveling a bunch at that time and I had this giant bag. It had wheels on it, but man, it was just heavy. And I, and, and I learned now to pack lighter and just always bring a rollerboard. But anyway, I'm getting off the out of the van to go through the airport. I got like a couple miles to walk and my, I put my bag down and first, actually I didn't put it down. He bumps me out of the way, gets my bag out of the back of the car, puts it down. And when I go to pull it, the wheel comes off. So it's got to be carried because it, it won't, it won't drag anymore. And he, and I go to lift it. He goes, no. And, and, and he starts like, and he doesn't speak English, you know, so he's going, no. And he's trying to grab it from me. I go, no, no, no. And he goes, no, no, I, I got it. And I'm, and I'm like, please don't do this. Like, please. This man's got 4 million people in his church. He's been suffered for the gospel. He's served me all week. I'm like, I don't think I can handle this if you try to take my bag. I go, no, no, I've got it. I'm good. I've got this. He goes, no, no, no. I go, no, I got it. He goes, no. I'm like, oh. You know, the 4 million, a pastor guy, when he goes, no, you go, yes, yes. And he picks that thing up. And he starts carrying it. It's, it's 50 pounds. It's 50 pounds. And he's carrying it. And he's, and, and he's kind of like struggling with it. But he just keeps walking with it. I'm walking behind. I'm crying. Just this is, this is wrong. This is wrong. And he realized something that I didn't realize. That the greatest among you is your servant. When Paul says, I am less than the least. He's not saying just, you know, good, catchy Bible phrases. He's saying, no, this is the reality when Christ roots in your heart. This is who you are. This is who the, probably the greatest apostle that ever lived was in, in his own heart, in the knowledge of himself, in, the, in view of the knowledge of God. He goes, I am less than the least. And that Chinese apostle, he, man, he carried my bag for like a mile and a half. I mean, all into that airport. And I just, I just... I'll just never forget that. I just remember walking behind him. He was the servant. And in that, he was the greatest among us. He goes, to me, who's the least, grace was given to do the greatest thing. Preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Another version says, the unfathomable riches of Christ. And, and beloved, this is Paul's life story. It's his mission statement. Earlier he says, I was given grace to preach the gospel. And he dials it into two things, preaching Christ and telling the story. If you wanted to know a simple Pauline explanation of what the gospel is, preach Christ and tell the story. He goes, but there's grace on my life to unpack to Gentiles, something that you can't exhaust. The unsearchable, 
unfathomable riches of Christ. Listen, when I come back to Ephesians 3.8 and I dial into that phrase, I, I realize there's, there's, got to have, there's got to be something that happens in you when you approach the person of Jesus. And it should be awe and shock and wonder. When you come in contact with this phrase, unfathomable riches, that should impact you in, in that when you approach Jesus, it should be unfathomable riches. Does that make sense? If when I approach Jesus, I don't see him as unfathomable riches, it tells me I don't have revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Does that make sense? If Jesus ever, if I'm ever bored with Jesus, if Jesus ever seems normal to me, if serving Jesus is like, that's fine, but I really want to do blah, blah, blah. I mean, I got my bucket list. If it's ever that way, then I realize I have not even connected to the truth of who he is because he is unfathomable riches. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in him. All of our wildest dreams are fulfilled in him. All your desires for wonder and beauty and majesty, all your desires for light and life, glory, everything that's on the inside of you, whatever you want on the inside, whatever your longings of your heart are, they're all found in Jesus and not just, oh, I found a little bit. No, it's an overwhelming expression of whatever your deepest desires are. Humanity is always looking for something. They've got core things they're searching for. And all of them are found in Jesus. And not just a little bit. The, the overwhelming portion. The, the infinite portion. The, the, the waterfall of riches. You see what I'm saying? Unfathomable riches. So Paul goes, I am the least and I get to preach the greatest. He's, what he's doing is he's just standing in awe of the wonder of, grace, of the grace of God. He's going, how could I, who am nothing, have this job? How awesome. And beloved, you can go deeply into that phrase, unfathomable riches, unsearchable riches. I'll give you a hint. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He's writing the two books. Remember Ephesians and Colossians? He writes them back to back and he references one and the other. In Colossians 1, 15 through 20, he begins to give us details of the unfathomable riches of Christ. I would encourage you, go back and read that this week. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Just read it and let those phrases roll over you. The wonders of Jesus. I I, I believe this with all my heart. If, if, If preachers, myself... If, if we who are preachers can preach Jesus well, if we can preach him with revelation, that will be enough. That will penetrate and pierce people's hearts. It will, if we could just give people a glimpse of the knowledge of Jesus, it will shake and change people's lives. I mean, it, he is the sun that everything orbits around. I mean, that's Jesus. If we could just see him a little bit. I want, to, I want to preach him rightly and, 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 and express him rightly. I, I pray for this. I, I, I sit in the prayer room and I go, God, give me grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So that I can express Jesus rightly. So he goes, I want to, he goes, this is what I'm called to do. To preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship or the administration of. Of the plan, the the fellowship of the mystery or the phrase administration of the plan. It's the same phrase to make all see what is the administration of the plan, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. The point is this. He goes, there is a giant plan of the gospel. It's what we've been talking about the last six weeks. He goes, my job is to preach Jesus and his beauty and his worth and his majesty and to unpack the truth of the plan which when we, go, when we think about what he's already told us in Ephesians, verse 10 of chapter 1, we, he keeps going back to it. He keeps going back to it. He goes, everything will be summed up under Jesus Christ. Heaven and earth is coming together under Jesus Christ. He will be the leader of, God, of the entirety of all of God's creation. Jesus. He goes, this is what, I'm, he goes, this is what my job is. To tell everybody that Jesus is coming and everything is coming under his leadership and he's wonderful. He's glorious. And so he's just in this 
wild bunny trail and he's expressing like these deep drippings of his heart. And beloved, if you want to have the gospel in two bullet points, unfathomable riches of Christ and the plan of God for all the ages. Bang, that's it. Paul said, that's what I'm commissioned to do. I'm graced to do. Preach the gospel. Preach Jesus and the plan of God, the day of the Lord, the return of the Lord. Amen. Next, the manifestation of God's wisdom. Verse 10. I'm going to wrap up with this. It's just wrong that I'm doing this in six minutes. Oh, my clock changed. Five minutes. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God. Everybody say manifold. You know what that means, right? Many faceted. The diamond ring of God's wisdom. Right? You see the diamond and bang, the light's coming out everywhere. The the colors are coming out everywhere. God's wisdom is that. So many facets of the beauty of God. The mysteries of God are manifold. The wisdom of God is unpacking his mysteries. It's manifold. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Let me just try to get into this very quickly. The mission statement of the church, yes, it includes the the great commission, preaching the gospel and discipling nations. But it's bigger than that. And Paul extrapolates it. He draws it out really huge. He said, (laughs) to the extent that the manifold wisdom of God, the many facets of God's wisdom might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That is a crazy idea. But let me give it to you in a... Kind of a, let me just try to paraphrase this in a natural way so you can kind of get your mind around what this is even saying. The idea is this Satan rebels, He, he turns on God. He says, I'll be just like the Most High. God continues with the creation, universe, galaxies, solar systems, our solar system, our planet. Right? Puts Adam and Eve on it. Satan comes to try to thwart God's dream and desire for love and intimacy with with human beings. And right there in the beginning of of that beautiful story of love and God creates humanity to have this wondrous relationship with himself. Satan comes in and, and deceives humanity and humanity turns on God. And then God comes in And by Genesis 3, he says, I am going to do something to you, serpent, that will destroy you. A man will crush your head. Genesis 3.15. What a thought. The devil goes, I'm against you, God. God goes, yeah, I'm not really intimidated by you. I'm going to have a, a human being kill you. Because I will have a human, he will crush your head, you will bruise his ankle, he will crush your head. A human being will do it. Wow. And that's Jesus. So Genesis 3.15, he gives us that Messiah is going to come, he's going to be a man, he's going to destroy Lucifer. Okay, the whole story, fast forward, cross, Jesus dies, redeems humanity, gets for himself a people, a church who love him. And now what does the father say? Hey, church. Here's what I want you to do. Manifest my wisdom. Show my wisdom. And what is that? That I have redeemed you. I have enabled you. I have given you grace and power. And that you can live according to the values of my kingdom. You can live the cross out. He goes, manifest my wisdom. Not just to, not to lost people. To the devil and his angels. Carry out my victory. Carry out my wisdom. 
show the principalities and powers that it's real that Christ destroyed the works of the devil and that you are living testimonies of that, how you live day in and day out. Oh, beloved, if you could just get this a little bit and see that you walking out the progress of the gospel in your life, saying yes to Jesus and no to the devil, that in that is the wisdom of God and his eternal plan being manifest through you, and namely the main people that are noticing it are the devils, the demons. See, you choose righteousness, you reject unrighteousness, And the devil goes, no, it's not supposed to be that way. I got Adam and Eve to sell out to sin. They're supposed to choose sin. But he goes, no, no, no. The wisdom of God is the cross. I will die for them and I will put in them my power and put in them my spirit. And they'll be able to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Therein is the wisdom of God. That broken humans can stand in righteousness. Come on. It's crazy. And I told you last week, the unsaved folk are watching. Well, there's more than the unsaved folk watching. The demons are watching. They're watching. And you and I, when we stand for Jesus, when we love, when you choose to love, when, when you choose to forgive, this is how it plays out. When you choose to serve and bless and humble yourself, When you choose to give, you are a manifestation of God's grace and God's wisdom through the cross. And the the idea is this, it worked. When Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for you, and he spent three days in the grave and rose again, and then God committed the beauty of that to humans to preach it, and in the foolishness of preaching, The power of God came and touched you and changed you. You said yes to the gospel. You said yes to Jesus. Now you're walking out righteousness. The idea is it worked. It worked. It's crazy. This weekend I got contacted by uh, some friends from high school. Whoo, glory to God. That's That's a season of life I don't even like to think about. But I had some friends from high school contact me this weekend. And the one guy... He said to me, he goes, he, in a little message, he said, hey, I want you to know something. I've renounced all my satanic attachments, and I serve Jesus every single day of my life. I read that, I was like, wow. Me too. Like, he knew that about me. But, but I, I'm sitting there thinking, the devil on the other side of that is going, no, I had them. I had him. No, no, no. He's a demonstration of the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers. Rejecting unrighteousness and choosing righteousness. And then he says this, that, and that's our, that's our mission, church, to live righteous, righteously, just to love, to serve, to give, to bless. Sermon on the Mount lifestyle is the exact opposite of what, what, what this, the flesh and the world wants. It's, it's a demonstration of the wisdom of God through the cross. But, 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 but here's the thing. I look at this whole thing, he goes, and it's, it's according to the eternal purposes which he worked in Christ. Beloved, you have to get this. You're part of a story that isn't even close to over. It's not even close. It's going to go on forever and ever and ever. And there are things that are happening in your life right now that have ripple effects forever. Forever. And I, and I go, how, how, why cross me? How am I even in on this? He goes, son, there's eternal purposes that you don't even understand right now. And beloved, we have to tie that into how we live day in and day out. And you go, well, how? Simple. Live righteously today. Choose righteousness right now. Choose it tomorrow. Love Jesus well. Love your neighbor well. Let them curse you and bless them now. Do stuff that makes no sense that humans don't want to do. Right? Forgive when they lie about you and mistreat you and abuse you. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who mistreat you. What is that? That's a manifestation of the cross. 
And beloved, there are eternal ripple effects. We're going to be looking back on the righteous acts of the saints forever. Jesus is going to be unpacking his word to us forever. And we are going to be getting our mind blown by the mystery of God that's going to be unveiled to us. Amen? We're in on the story, gang. I told you that's the most anointed bunny trail that's ever been in the history of humankind. Amen. All right.